0: blog talk radio good morning everyone welcome to the faces of tbi podcast series i am amy Zellmer, founder of faces of TBI.com and your host today i will be talking with dr joseph little about rethinking mental health brain-based therapies for mood This episode is brought to you by the Functional Neurology Center, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are leaders in neural recovery and experienced in treating complex concussion cases that include dysautonomia, vertigo, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in the Midwest, and they've greatly helped me and many others. You can find them online at the thefunctionalneurologycenter.com. Hello, I am Amy Zelmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors, by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I am a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project. And I am author of Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal, which is available on Amazon. And I recently launched the Brain Health Magazine. And you can grab your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer, and also please join my Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. So today, my guest is Dr. Joseph Little, and Dr. Little is a Northeast Ohio-based chiropractic physician with a focus on working with complex neurological and metabolic conditions. His clinic, Ohio Brain and Pain Center, works with a wide variety of conditions, including brain injury, mood, and mental health disorders, migraine headaches, attentional and behavioral issues, developmental disorders autoimmune, metabolic, and hormonal conditions, chronic pain and injury, fibular disorders, and dysautonomia. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Little. I'm really happy to have you here today. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> so I had the opportunity to get to know Dr. Little and his wife when I was in Ohio uh, for the Not Invisible campaign. He was my sponsor in um, I'm blanking. Where was I in Ohio?
1: <laughs> we, were, uh, we were in Fairlawn, Cleveland? Ohio. At the, at, it's one of the Cleveland clinics in Fairlawn. Yeah,
0: yeah. Cleveland. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, it's I've all been all over. It blurs it together. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um, so thank you again for um, being one of the generous sponsors for Not Invisible. Okay. Um, but um, I'm really excited to have you here today talking about mental health, and how you know there are ways to help with mood, um, and so I'm really really excited to dig into that today. Um, but first, I would love for you to share with the listeners how you came to work in the brain injury community.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I'll kind of I always go through my my brother's story because that's that's really the story of how I got into this, and I don't I don't typically like to discuss it too much because um, it's it's really his story to share and it's not mine, but. I think it kind of gives some context to uh, how the heck I got here. So he was in the military, served in the Navy, and kind of a long story short, he had uh, multiple blast-related traumatic brain injuries, and, and certainly anybody kind of in that profession knows that that can lead to a whole variety of symptoms. So, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, chronic headaches, anxiety, um, you know, certain things that that are just god-awful. And, you know, discussing that back and forth with him. I was, at, I was in chiropractic school at the time, and I kind of had a different trajectory to what I was going to do. And I just got to hear kind of his, his awful experience working with uh, the VA system and, and certainly nothing against, you know, some of those folks that are you know, doing their best in that. But when it comes to traumatic brain injury, at least at that time, and I hope hope it's kind of getting better um, under-recognized, under-appreciated, push them through, we'll deal with it later. And certainly the, the psychiatric components associated with that are just, just kind of non-existent, in some of the ways it was approached, you know, because kind of the gist of why we're here, it's, it's an invisible injury, it's not something you can see, hey, you're fine. You know, um, I, don't, I don't even think it's his scenario, they did any sort of advanced imaging or anything like that, but he was going through all this stuff with it. And I said, man, you know, I want to help him. Um, And I started kind of doing my own research, and I came across this guy named Dr. Carrick. And he was doing some insane work with TBI and post-traumatic stress disorder and just really having results that that were really unheard of at the time. And later on, I got the chance to shadow Dr. Matthew Worth out of St. Louis, who I really just owe so much to. And it kind of changed the trajectory of my career, the trajectory of my life. Really gave me the blessing to not only help my brother, but kind of pass that along and help a lot of people outside that. So from there, I started like locking myself in a room every night, studying neurology just under that context, and kind of been going down that rabbit hole ever since. And um, you know, I say the way that I'm practiced, that I practice, um, is really just a byproduct of surrounding myself with some really, really smart, intelligent people and passing those things along.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And you know I I think, I I think with blasts and other military injuries um you know I, and not just not just the military it but brain injury is so incredibly uh overlooked, dismissed, diminished I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've met who were told by like a neurologist that they don't have a brain injury, but they did. And so it's really frustrating. And, you know, you start going down this rabbit hole of well, maybe I am crazy. You know, you have doctors telling you, Oh, this can't be this can't be from your car accident. This can't be from hitting your head on, you know, the ground or, you know, and it's so frustrating. And as people continue down that rabbit hole, they get anxious. Their symptoms are like getting worse. And that causes a lot of anxiety, you know, like, what is wrong with me? Why isn't this getting better? And, you know, then it leads to depression. And, you know, for me personally, I've shared my story many times that the neuropsychologist wanted to give me antidepressants, Ritalin and sleeping pills and told me I was just depressed. And I'm like, no, depression is a symptom. It's not the root problem here. Um, you know, and I'm sure you hear this over and over from your patients as well. Um, you know, so what are you know some some words of wisdom you have for everyone listening on how to handle all those feelings and what doctors are telling you isn't real?
1: Sure, yeah, um, and it is, and it is really frustrating. And some of that is just a byproduct of you know what's what's in your scope of practice. You know, everybody looks at patient with a bias and through the lens of of what their training is. And that's, you know, sometimes it does do people a disservice. It's not always, you know, sometimes people are just trying their best with what they do. But um, when it comes to these invisible injuries, those are things that definitely kind of slip through the cracks. So I'll kind of, you know, I'll answer it in in my lens, how I kind of approach those things. Um, you know, early on when we kind of first started, um, there was a mental health clinic that had heard about what we do, knew about functional neurology and kind of approached us and, um, we kind of went back and forth and they sent us some really difficult cases early on of individuals who had, who had been through medication therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, EMDR, and a number of different things. And just really hadn't responded to that. And, um, You know, we did the things that we do, and we were able to hit some home runs early on. And, um, you know, when you see these people that haven't responded to traditional types of care um, and then kind of come in here, all right, and the way that I treat them kind of closely mirrors in different ways the way that we might approach a concussion or traumatic brain injury, just using a a variety of different, you know, multimodal brain-based therapies. And when you apply those under the right circumstances, And in a correct way, I mean, you get some pretty good treatment outcomes, and it ends up being this really nice adjunct therapy. So I kind of say, you know, what the heck is up with that? Because amongst other professions, you know, I don't think a lot of providers would say, like, let's put you through a concussion protocol, or, you know, let's do some vestibular therapy, let's do some vision therapy. But certainly for those involved in functional neurology, and more some of these physical medicine areas. I mean, that that makes a lot of sense, and people can definitely kind of see that. And those are scenarios that may have a concussion background, but it also applies when there's there's not a head trauma background. You can still use those therapies really effectively. So, you know, with the purpose of our audience being traumatic brain injuries, I started getting all these referrals for panic attacks and obsessive-compulsive disorders and PTSD and dissociative disorders, you know, whatever it may be. That just hadn't responded to these other types of therapies. And lo and behold, you know, I didn't always have a background to what they were coming in with, but you start asking them questions, and guess how many of them had a history of undiagnosed or diagnosed brain Mm -hmm. trauma to to some extent? And there's enough to be a correlation where, hey, all these people that have, you know, head trauma, whether repetitive or single or then, I mean, maybe they were good for a few weeks, good for a few years, and all these things kind of came out. People just aren't asking those questions, or you're looking at a scenario where it was a long enough time frame that they don't view those things as, as being relevant,
0: you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to stop you for just a minute because, uh, you know, the importance of digging into somebody's history and you are not the first guest I've had on the podcast who's talked about that and how, as you, you know, peel back the layers of the onion, you know, of what's going on with this patient and, oh yeah, I was in a car accident or, you know, I was hit by a car on my bike, you know, and like they've gone for years without being told they had a brain injury. Um, And I think, you know, I think as we get more awareness out there, um, people demand, are, are demanding more of their doctors and, um, you know, just, but that, that, that importance of digging deeper in that history. And I, you know, that's what I appreciate so much about functional neurology is that you guys spend time with a patient where my exam with Dr. Schmo was two hours versus mm-hmm. my exam with the neurologist was 20 minutes. You know, how can you even get deep enough in 20 minutes?
1: Yeah, you know, there's certainly so many things that you're going to miss. <laughs> the scenario. And it, it's not the easiest profession. I'll be the first to say that. But, you know, when you're willing to go to that depth and that level, I mean, you're going to uncover all these different things that other people might not see as relevant. But, I mean, definitely can play, you know, a really, really big role. And, you know, one of the things I always heard when I was being trained and all that, like, the better history you have, your history will determine your treatment, you know, in so many ways. And there's mm-hmm. so many things that could be just revealed by that. And, you know, if you have somebody that has a scenario, you know, when did these things start? Like, oh, I was in a car crash five years ago, and you know, nobody nobody put that together. Bingo. <laughs> there's something there. You know, that's, that's not rocket science. You know, that makes your job pretty easily.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I feel so bad for these people that have walked around with an undiagnosed brain injury for months, years, decades, you know, at least for me, we knew right away. I mean, there was no question. I yeah. hit my head hard. I lost consciousness. I was having a lot of cognitive problems. Like, I mean, it was clear right away. Um but, you know, there's these people that walk around so long without any answers and, you know, maybe they go to the emergency room and they may be told, and and it's getting better, it's getting better, but I'm talking like 10 years ago. People who went to the emergency room after a car accident, they were looked at, you know, maybe they were told they had a concussion, but that was like the end of it. There was no follow-up for that or nothing to watch for or be concerned about. And like, you know, as we start unraveling mental health, I, I just I see so much brain injury and yeah. it's been left undiagnosed and as I said earlier, you know, it starts all these symptoms start causing anxiety and fear and angst and depression and um you know, so what are some ways you as a provider, um, that you're able to help patients overcome some of some of these feelings? Yeah.
1: So let's let's take this analogy because I think this is one that I say to patients a lot, and I think it makes for kind of an easy analogy to make. So let's let's take anxiety for example, okay? Uh So, and let's say it's a case where you know if if somebody's getting to a functional neurologist, I mean they're they're probably like you're the tenth person they've seen, the fifteenth person that they've seen, et cetera. So they've tried a bunch of things. Um, You know, certainly I always say if we do the exact same thing we're just reinventing the wheel, we're going to get the exact same results. So let's, let's look at some other things as we're doing this. So let's take anxiety, all right, and maybe you got a history of concussion, maybe you don't, all right, and I always say, all right, what's, a, what's an extreme form or extreme manifestation of anxiety? It's a panic attack, right? Mm-hmm. right? So what's a panic attack? All right? It's sensory overload. It's those areas of your brain and those neural networks that are supposed to tone down that information appropriately, that doesn't overload the system, it's that circuitry going haywire, okay? And when you look at that, all right, you know, a lot of people would say, okay, what's our scope of practice, all right, medication therapy, looking at neurochemical kind of things, or if we do cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, we're going to revisit trauma, we're going to reframe those types of scenarios, and then that's really great, but it's sensory overload, all right? So let's look at the sensory systems and let's look at the brain systems that are supposed to integrate that information and say, is something going haywire, is there something we can do to build integrity and endurance in those areas that could profoundly change when those scenarios those happen? And certainly you see that all the time in concussion where, man, multitasking is impossible. You know, I heard a train go by and I went into a freaking panic attack, you know, and, and mm, that yeah. makes sense when you look at it in that regard. So you know, I always say let's, let's say you're walking down the street and you go and you trip off a curb. You know, what happens to your anxiety? It goes through the roof okay so that's that's an extreme form of that but let's say you hit your head and the way these sensory pathways integrate got a little bit skewed okay and you don't even know what's going on a lot of these are non-conscious pathways that are supposed to have function in the background you don't think anything of it until they kind of kink out a little bit that's like somebody standing right next to you just just tapping you on the shoulder over and over and over again okay and that may not be a big deal over the course of 10 minutes But let's say that goes on for 10 hours, all right? Let's say that goes on for 10 years, all right? That's going to drive you nuts, okay? So when you look at these things, there's a lot of scenarios of people that don't respond to traditional type of interventions where they have functional, organic lesions, and the standard of care is not really necessarily to look at those things, all right? And that's where functional neurology is pretty good. Like we own sensory systems and we own motor systems and we understand the brain areas That are really responsible for giving those things integrity. So, when we look at a patient, we say, How do we go back and use non invasive therapies to work on those sensory pathways to fire into those brain areas to build integrity? Okay, so for example, you know, I had had one patient who she had a TBI and she'd hear these construction noises outside of her house or she'd hear a vacuum cleaner, right? And she'd kind of get this like hemiparesis going on. So guess what we did with our stuff? You know, we did all our sensory-based therapies just based on objective evaluation saying, these are systems we can use as a window of fire on these different areas. But we did it with a background of construction noises and things like that, where we're tapping mm-hmm. those yeah. sensory systems in a controlled environment saying, hey, let's build some integrity in them. And these are really, really simple things sometimes, but you do the right thing at the appropriate frequency I mean, you can change somebody's life in a really, really big way or at least get them to a place where they can interact with their environment more
0: appropriately. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I did some, um, uh, like, I, I would have to do, like, puzzles, for lack of a better word, um, yeah. while listening to, like, just noise, like people talking or, like, a busy subway station or something um, on a recording um, just to help, Because I I had a lot of trouble with my brain focusing on what to listen to, right? And so that that overstimulation would pop up real quickly. Um, So, yeah, like stuff like that, it just seems so incredibly simple, but it it works. It's so powerful. Um, You just have to know how to tap into that, Um, you know, and when you've had a brain injury, you have so much of your circuitry off, right? Like you might be having eye movement problems. You might be having vestibular problems, balance problems, um, cognitive processing problems. And when you have all these different things going on, I kind of equate it to your computer and you have Word and Excel and Photoshop open and like all these programs open. And then you wonder why it won't, you know, why, why, the, why something's bogged down, right, and won't, won't, yeah, won't, no. won't run fast enough. I equate it very similar to that. Yeah,
1: yeah right? Kind of what I typically say is um, at the end of the day, you've got a finite, finite amount of resources. You know, you got so much conscious attention, so much subconscious, you know, things that you can devote towards stuff. you got so much glucose. you got so much oxygen. And when systems have to work a little bit harder, than they're supposed to. I mean, you're just robbing all these other areas of resources,
0: you know? hmm Yeah. And, and over time, as I worked with Dr. Schmo and we got my eyes working together again, we got my balance under control. We got cognitive processing to improve. That's when I noticed like all of a sudden I'm like, oh, Hey, I haven't been having anxiety or I haven't been feeling as depressed. Um, because when you start getting all those other symptoms under control, and um, I, I, don't, I don't know the word, I don't know what, what word to put with that, um, but it's like the other stuff starts drifting away. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you're, you're trying to, you know, in cases of like that, what areas are hyperactive, what areas aren't inhibiting, you know, and how do you play that dynamic balance of using those things to make them do their job, you know, and certainly like the eyes, in every scenario of somebody hitting their head, there's a lot of oculomotor issues. There's a lot of inner ear issues. And if you just focus on one, you know, you're, you're missing a part of the puzzle, right? And a better way to do it is to say, how do we fill in all those pieces of the puzzle at the same time? And your prognosis is gonna be, you know, really different. And, you know, as, we, as we're kind of thinking about, like, sensory systems and how do you use that for, you know, therapy, like, people have been doing that for a long time. You know, when you look at a baby, you know, for example, Instinctually, like what's, what's the first thing you do when a baby cries? You're essentially doing vestibular stimulation. You're rocking it back and forth. And why does that work? Because sensory things can be a really powerful stimulus to the brain and do a lot of things to calm down neural networks appropriately. You look at exercise. You know, Exercise in a lot of scenarios has been proven to be as effective for depression as medication. Like Sensory things applied appropriately, can be really, really powerful tools and what functional neurology does a good job of is saying, okay, we understand that premise. Now how can we get really, really specific and really detailed about what we're doing so that we can do that in a smaller time frame and make that much, much more profound and
0: longer lasting. hmm Yeah. And you know, and that's a question I actually get asked a lot is so does functional neurology like stick? Right. Like, does it last or like, do you just have to keep going back over and over? And, you know, I, I try to explain and I'll let you explain it when I'm done, but I try to explain it like, you know, they're working your brain to get that neuroplasticity to rewire back to its most efficient route again. And yeah, you might have setbacks. Like I, I had a major trigger when I was driving one day at night and these little dots were coming at me for two hours and it triggered some of my visual stuff again. So I had to go back for one treatment. Um, but that was it. Just, just a singular treatment. And I mean, Jeremy within like a minute knew exactly what was wrong. Right. Um, but for the most part it does stick and you know, you get, you get sent home with exercises and I still pull those out, you know, what, three years later, um, so I'll let you explain it in better terms than I just did. <laughs> no, I,
1: I think you did, you did great, and you gave it from the patient perspective. Um, you know, I, I definitely get that, that question a lot, and you know, part of my job is to get people better as quick as I can in as most of a cost-efficient manner as I can because you know, that's, that's what you should do, right? Um, but exactly what you said, you know, we might have to do this in a really, really intense way you know, or we have to do this at enough of a frequency over enough of a timeline to actually make these things stick. You know, it, it does us no good for you not to commit to a frequency of stimulation that that's not going to actually stick as you're doing That's a waste of your time. That's a waste of my time as we're doing it. But when you go back in that, all right, the frequency of stimulus that you need to achieve those results does become less and less. And exactly what you've seen, and, and certainly, you know, Dr. Schmo is is – fantastic and, and great at what he does but now we've already done that stuff we know what those systems are let's go back in and let's build those back up again and kind of get you back to that that baseline and in every scenario you know every, everybody's different you know everybody has kind of different degrees and take 100 brain injuries and you're going to get 100 different mechanisms as you're doing that to an extent there's going to be a new normal you know everybody has their hand right. cards they've been dealt and you've got to play your hand in the, in the best way you can but I always say, you know, think of it like I learn a new dance. Not that I can dance at all, but um, I learn a new <laughs> dance or I learn, a, you know, a new song or whatever, or, um, and I don't do it for 10 years. I like riding a bike, you know. I don't do it for 10 years, you know, with a little bit of practice, you know, a little bit of stimulation of those areas, like you can get back into that pretty quickly, and I kind of view it like that. You know, we can yeah. do this in an intensive yep. mm-hmm. way will those things taper off or under the right circumstances or if you you know hit your head again or things like that can those things kind of come back in yes but do we always have to do the exact same frequency of what we did you know no that's that's not necessarily the case and um i think that's kind of unique in a lot of different areas of medicine where we're doing something through a point in time this is not designed to be a forever type scenario. We want you to do this over a course of an intensive type period to get these things back online. If I'm seeing you forever, you know, what, what are we doing? We're spinning our wheels.
0: hmm Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I guess the, the way I try to explain functional neurology to people is you guys look at the entire system. Right, You're not just looking at the eyes or just the vestibular or just the balance. You're looking at it at it all, and you're working the brain in an intensive way to make it rewire. Because my, my best understanding of it is that you know, you've damaged a part of your brain, and your brain is incredibly smart, so it rewires itself to go a different route. However, once that place is healed, it never... Knows to go back to that efficient route. So we have to give it these intensive exercises to tell it to go back to that efficient route. Um, and that's my like super simplified explanation of it. <laughs> that's a, it's a great um, explanation. Absolutely. <laughs> um, what, what would you add to that? Um, no,
1: I I think that that nails it on the head. I mean, it's it's really funny to. And I remember when I first started, like, what we're doing little figure eights and things like that. We're doing little eye movements. Like, What the heck does this have to do with anything? But right? when you look at it, and when you finally under, and gosh, it's it's such a frustrating profession to learn, and and it's something that just continues. Like you never stop as you're doing it. And the more you learn, the more you realize that what you don't know, and the more you got to continue to learn all these different things. But when you understand the brain areas that you're affecting and if you understand how those brain areas or neural networks relate to different types of symptomatology, that can be a really really profound intervention you know? and it's mm-hmm. a great window into different aspects of the brain and if you build integrity in those areas, okay, we're using maybe sensory systems and motor systems as a window into those different areas all right? and you say, man that eye movement looks rock solid all right? that reflex that's doing what it's supposed to do well, your brain isn't isolated in its function. There's a lot of different overlap where your brain does a lot of different things. If you can say, hey, there's more integrity in that brain area, and that brain area also does this, this, and this, you know, and it relates to mood and cognition and emotional regulation, and behavioral regulation, all that different stuff, and there's more integrity in it, now when it's tasked to go do those other things, that's going to be a much more functionally appropriate brain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And certainly, I mean, there's other parts of the conversation that we're, we're probably leaving out, you know, metabolic components, you know, certainly like
0: right. brain mm-hmm.
1: inflammation and, and cases of depression, anxiety plays, plays a huge role. And that's, that's not something I'm, I'm forgetting about. It's just for the context of what we're talking about. I mean, brain inflammation absolutely slows down firing between neurons and affects limbic function and frontal lobe regulation and things like that and affects neurotransmitters. All those things leading to anxiety and depression. And those are things you have to deal with as well. But kind of going back to this, like, where does functional neurology do a good job? You know, it's not one thing. You know, you go to a lot of physicians, and this is the one thing we do, and we're going to do it, and it's either going to work or it doesn't work. You know, a lot of functional neurologists kind of treat their stuff like they're a detective. You know, we're trying to figure it out. It's a puzzle. There's a lot of pieces. I bet you if we fill in as many pieces of those puzzles as we can at the same time, we're going to get a better
0: treatment outcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I remember in the beginning of my treatment and these eye exercises are the figure eights, and they're they're in theory, they're so simple. But Mm -hmm. when your eyes aren't working right, because eye exercises are so hard, <laughs> yeah. and I, you know, I remember just having like breakdowns, right? And you know, as as the clinicians, you guys are are very accustomed to us patients having breakdowns. And, I've, um, I've had
1: my fair share of those. I've sent people into panic attacks. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind yep. of part of the learning yep. curve. That you're doing it.
0: It, yeah, yeah, right. And so, you know, sometimes you as as the clinician, you have to try and exercise to see, do I need to go to the left or the right with you? Right. And mm-hmm. if you do the wrong one, it can send someone into a panic attack or give them a headache or make them dizzy. And, um, yeah. And but, but you guys know, okay, I did the wrong way. Now we go the other way. And then you feel better. Yeah. Um, sometimes yeah, that's, that's the, that's the best so information you can get.
1: Like, well, we figured out what not to do.
0: <laughs> right <laughs> yeah so I it's it's so fascinating to me and having gone through all this almost makes me want to go back to school into some form of neurology I say almost A long line. <laughs> I don't want to go back to school <laughs> oh but Dr. Little we're just about out of time And so I want to wrap up by asking you, you know, if you have any final thoughts of wisdom for our listeners um, as it pertains to mental health and brain injury.
1: Sure. Um, You know, I think on my end, you know, I'm I'm biased because I work in the profession that I I work in. But um, when somebody tells you, when a physician tells you, there's nothing that can be done, all right, just understand in a lot of scenarios that means there's nothing more that person can do for you yeah. right yes there yes. Are, sometimes it's not about how much therapy you do you know and you could you can be with a really really smart physician right there's really really smart people out there mm-hmm. that know a ton of things that that fail all the time you know and and that's okay there are other routes out there, and sometimes it's about finding the right set of tools. And sometimes it's not one person. You know, sometimes it takes a village and doing things synergistically. So don't give up. There's a lot of different things out there, um, and it's just a matter of finding what those are. You know, healthcare is about getting the right person to the right provider at the right time, and that doesn't always happen, you know. And a lot yeah. of times you're going to go from doctor to doctor to doctor, and, and it's exhausting, but when you find the right person, you find the right thing. I mean, that can turn your life around really profoundly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think you had such a powerful point about, you know, if, say, a neurologist or your your general provider, um, they tell you there's nothing we can do. Because I kept being told that over and over and over. There's nothing we can do. We just have to give it more time. And to realize that there's, you're right, there's nothing they can do, that, that they know how to do. And, you know, I think that's why I am so passionate about my advocacy is because I know there's providers out there who can help you. And, you know, that's the whole point of this podcast is to try and help people find those providers. So I think that was such a great point, you know, and it's something I, I feel hasn't really been pinpointed before. Um, so thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yeah, and so thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Little. Um, This has been a great conversation. And if somebody wants to find you, your website is thebraincenterohio.com, correct? Yes, it is. All right, and that is in the show notes. So anyone that would like to get in touch with Dr. Little, you can go to the show notes, and it's thebraincenterohio.com. So thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Little. This has been great.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode with Dr. Joseph Little. And just another reminder, you can find his information in the show notes. And another big thank you to our podcast sponsor, the the Functional Neurology Center. You can find them online at thefunctionalneurologycenter.com. And another reminder to please join Amy's TBI Tribe on Facebook to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zelmer. And also, don't forget to get your free digital subscription to the Brain Health Magazine. So thank you all for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I will see you all again next time.